Has the story of your love life taken an unexpected plot twist? Well, this is the podcast that helps millennials rewrite the story of their love life by learning simple strategies for starting and maintaining a healthy relationship. Through candid and unscripted conversations, we provide tools to help navigate the twists and turns of dating and relationships. Are you ready to flip the script on your love life? If so, sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy another episode of the Love Unscripted Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Love Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Wilson. And this is the podcast where we have unscripted conversations with millennials about relationships and dating. And as you guys can tell, Dexter's not here with me this week because Love Unscripted has the best vacation packages around. So he's taking a break this week, but he will be back with us next week. But I just want to thank everybody who is continuing to have these conversations with us, continuing to be on this journey of learning ourselves, but also just having the conversation about tough things that we're all experiencing. We all sit on our couch on Friday evenings and talk with our friends about our relationship challenges and our relationship triumphs. So we're just emulating and imitating kind of what we would normally do, but be able to have it on a a larger scale. So if you missed last week's episode, you missed a good one. We had Tanisha Johnson and we talked about codependency. What What is a codependent relationship? But more importantly, how you can actually break that cycle and start fresh. So if you missed that one, go ahead, pause this one. I don't mind. Pause this one, jump on over to that one and go ahead and take that one in and then jump back over here. But like I said, we're going to continue on with these great conversations. I have another great guest. Let me go ahead and get him in here. All right. So, sir, go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Man, what's up, brother? Thank you for having me on, King. My, My name is Jay Barnett. Uh, former pro athlete, now marriage and family therapist, uh, associate, uh, PhD student, and author and speaker. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, so good. So you're also a PhD student. I am yeah. as well. So yeah. how's that journey going for you so far? <laughs> man, you already know. <laughs> so it, it's crazy, man, because... Um, so recently, I, I received a job offer from uh, USC, University of Southern California, and I reside in Texas. And the position is a sports therapist position, and the state of California doesn't have reciprocity, right? So, uh, as as you know, the the uh, master's program in the family therapy uh, in Texas at the time currently was forty five credit hours, but in the state of California, it's sixty. So when I accepted this job, I had to enter back into school and to complete another master's program and put my PhD program on hold. So which was a 14 month program that I condensed in five months. Don't ask me why and how I did that. I am still suffering right now. Mentally, bro. I saw I started in September of 2020 and I completed the program um, in February of this year. And this is for me to be able to practice in California uh, and because and, uh, the licensing process is totally different. 
you know, in, in the state of California. So, it, man, it, it's just been a, a heck of a journey. It's a great opportunity. And now I'm kind of like, do I really want to take the job? My goodness. Yo, but for man. Real, hold on. We, get, we all got to have a meeting about California. California is on their own, like, oh, wavelength. Like, they're doing things their own way. I, that's the one reason why I would not go because I know the licensing process is crazy out there. Oh, it's, it's mad crazy, brother. It, it is mad crazy. Uh, because uh, in California, you take an ethical exam, um, which is really uh, nothing major, and then you start the licensing process and uh, to complete it. And this contract with USC is like two years. So basically, it gives me two years to become fully licensed in the state of California. So now I'm being in Texas. But it's one of those things, man, where I'm kind of in between because I'm like, all right, do I want to go through this process all over again to actually do what it is that I want to do? Uh, because I, I got into mental health, man, after leaving football because uh, I feel like athletes are probably one of the most underserved communities, such mm -hmm. as the black community when it comes to mental health. And so for me, I, I, I've always seen myself working with athletes because being an athlete, there were, uh, there were very few resources surrounding mental health when it came to athletes, because everyone looked at uh, the athletes as like, you know, you 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 know, you're a warrior, and you know, you, you're this this muscle bound guy, uh, you're the streak of nature. You know, it's so many different things. Whether you play basketball, football, whatever, people look at athletes as being these uh, unnatural just machines. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, man, what what about the athletes and the individuals that they do have in place? have no understanding or connection to athletes, let alone black athletes, because mm -hmm. the, because that plight is very different from our counterparts. So uh, my vision is to one day uh, create a space and a facility that centers around building athletes, coaching them, uh, providing counseling, because athletes, they, they're still having to get used to with the, with the word therapy. So the coaching part comes across a uh, uh, very uh, ease uh, when it comes to them. So, but that that's my vision. Man, that's that's really dope. And I think I'm, maybe I'm biased because I'm an MFT as well. I think we have like the ultimate lens for how to view people as a whole because of the different systems that we're all connected to. Like Absolutely. I was talking to a coach. Uh, like last year and he was having some issues with some of his uh, collegiate athletes and he couldn't understand why they were feeling so much pressure from their family to do stuff for them. He's like, they're only in college. They're not pros yet, but yet their family expects this, but they don't understand what this collegiate position means for their family. family exactly. Which is impacting their mental capacity to be able to practice. Now, when they're out there and missing catches or missing blocks, it's not because they can't do it. There's a mental side that they're like, man, if I don't get this block, then my mama doesn't get a chance to. And now you miss it. But it's a whole thing. They're just a lot of them just think football. Yep. They think when they're on campus. Yeah, just campus. They, they're just doing the sport, go to class, do the sport. That's it. But we are all multidimensional people. 
Yep. And I think the family systems lens has the perfect way to connect all of these things, connecting resources to support, to be able to be your best version of yourself. And Absolutely. I see that translating into corporate America. Absolutely, um, man. Any type of area. No, absolutely, man. Because, you know, one thing that I, I, I often share with clients is that when you show up in any space, you show up with everything that you come to know. You show up with everything that you've learned, everything that has helped shape you, mold you, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, you know, everything. And so when we're working with people, if you don't see the whole person, you're going to miss an opportunity to actually learn other uh, um other components that makes up the individual. And I think that's what's missing a lot in sports because on one end, we're so focused on who this kid is as an athlete rather than who is this kid as a human being? Who is he as a person? Who is he off the field? Who is she off the court? And I think this is uh, why mental health is so important and not just with everything that we have going on because when we look at sports, a lot of us are looking at sports as entertainment. Mm -hmm. So for the viewer, it's an escape. But for the player, this is like this is life and death. And 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 not in the sense that we think life and death, like, oh, something happened. Like, no, this is the difference between being able to take care of my family and actually end up working at, you know, uh, Best Buy. Nothing wrong with working at Best Buy. But this is their mindset because the expectation has been placed on them, as you said, when they get a D1 scholarship and if they're going to a PWI, the family thinks, oh, bowl games, TVs, money from uh, uh, boosters. So all of these different things. And as you said, King, it impacts these guys mentally because let's be honest, there were only 259 draft picks. Right. Right. And you have maybe two to 300 free agents that are actually get the opportunity. I was a free agent. So it's like, I, I understand that. So that, that space is not guaranteed. That space is a lot of pressure because now even the thoughts of, well, what do I do if this doesn't happen? And there is no one that's showing up like you and I that looks like you and I mm -hmm. that are saying, Hey, football is great. You're a great athlete, but, let's look into some deeper levels of who you are as a man and as a person mm -hmm. than what you have to offer if this is not there. Right. And because what is happening when, when this is not there for these guys, it sends them into this dark space mm -hmm. because who do I become now that all of my life I've dedicated to this game. All of my life I've dedicated to eating right, working out. Coach said run 10 sprints. I ran 20 sprints. Coach said, eat proteins. You know, I mean, I ate, you know, uh, uh, I mean, coach would say eight, five times a day. I ate seven times. So all of these different things. And, and, and men, we do, um, we're very one directional when it mm -hmm. comes to, 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 you know, our pursuits. Right. And, and which is, you know, uh, I, I think rightfully so, how we're wired and genetically and, and how we're shaped. And when things don't, it's very difficult. And so I think having mm. mental health conversations, having conversation around expanding the mind of our black boys beyond right. just rapping and, and being an athlete, man, like it, it's we 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 have a 
huge challenge ahead of us. But I think with, uh, you know, individuals like yourself, man, and, and what I'm doing, I think we are the catalyst for that change. Definitely, definitely. Like, listen, I'm right there with you. But sticking in that line of sports, let's go ahead and get into this topic. And I, you you set it up beautifully. I don't even think you realize it. But listen, I was not a D1 athlete, but I was a very active kid. And I was one of those kids who every week, every weeknight, I was outside playing basketball. I just enjoyed playing basketball. But there were times when I would be playing where I'd be in the middle of the game and I'd go up for a layup and I would come down terribly wrong. Like I would come down bad. And usually I would get what is called a high ankle sprain, but I would get like the severe sprain. And me trying to be Michael Jordan in the flu game would still try to be out there hobbling <laughs> to the point where my friends were like, you know what? You're hurt. Stop. We can see your ankle swelling up. It's starting to look like a grapefruit. You got to go sit down, go home, go ice it. What's so funny about that is that us as men, we can identify when we're physically injured. If we're cut, we can say, okay, that's looking a lot more than a little scrape. I need to go wrap it up. If, if I get hit in the head or something, there's a, a knot. I know to put ice on it. But when it comes to our emotional hurt and emotional pain, sometimes we are not the best at recognizing that is there. Many of us tend to ignore it. And we have this uh, reputation of pushing aside emotional wounds. So first and foremost, Jay, what is an emotional wound? How would you describe that? So I would describe an emotional wound as a, I wouldn't necessarily say a traumatic event, but, but an, an event or an experience that took place that bruised your emotional capacity of uh, your emotional state. And I think when when you're looking at emotional wounds, there are often wounds that have caused us to feel a certain way, whether that was feelings of rejection, of abandonment, um, either feelings of not being enough and uh, the feelings of not feeling like uh, uh, that we have the ability or the capability. Uh, and I think when we look at emotional wounds for men, they're often hitting because as you said, it's not overt, it's not seen. And when you have men, most of us have been raised in a culture or generation where we could not identify with hurt or with pain because no one was able to bring language to it. Mm. Yeah. And so what happened was we developed this very, um, callous mentality that oh i'm good even the thing that bothered us to say well yeah that was messed up but oh i'm good well uh i thought your dad said he was gonna come get you today and uh you hadn't heard from him i'm good it's all good you know like and 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 not realizing that was creating a emotional wound of not only distrust in dad but also why did he come get me does he not want to spend time with me does he not like me you know am i not good enough for him and so these emotional wounds are often 
experience that we have that rules our feelings, but we find it difficult because no one has ever provided language to men to actually express that, you know, verbally. Man, that's great. And I'm glad you you threw in there. It's not necessarily a traumatic experience. And you went to the exact one that I think, especially for a lot of young boys, deal with. And it's that that dynamic of your father saying he's coming to get you and he does it. Oh, my goodness. Like, I want to do a study on that because that's one of those unspoken uh, experiences that young boys have that really messes with your trust, with your uh, self-worth, like all of that stuff. Like, I still remember those times when my dad was like, yeah, I'm coming. And then he does it. And I remember how I felt. I see kids that I work with um, at the school or at the community center when that, like, I know the look. Yep, and I know yep. exactly how it feels. It's exactly, it's right man. back to being that seven, that eight, that nine-year-old. And I'm glad you said that because it's not just um, someone died or you were touched inappropriately or you were in a car accident. Sometimes it's these social situations that cause emotional wounds. Man, yes, I'm glad. I want to do a study on that because I think there's something that even Drake, Drake mentioned it in a song, a zero to 100 real quick. Yep, sure. He mentions it in there and I heard it and I was like, oh, there's something hurt that that's something serious because I also went through that same mentality yep. that he was explaining in the song. So it's not just happening. It's happening to a lot of boys, a lot mm -hmm. of people. So how do emotional wounds affect us? What does it look like when we're impacted by an emotional wound? Well, emotional wounds affect uh, it affects a lot of how we look, not only how we look at life, but how we live life. Emotional wounds impact our behaviors and it in, in, impact our behaviors because now your functioning is associated with the experience. And so it affects your view on yourself. It affects your view on others and it also affects your view on life and emotional wounds have the power to really alter so much whether it's physiological uh, and then it can alter a lot biological because what happened is that you begin to rewire uh, a lot of within your brain based on your thoughts. And so, you know, you know, from the neural connection and how those transmitters begin to send different messages. So it affects a lot of our life, man. It affects how you how you live, how you function. Um, it, it affects even how you engage with others. And I think one of the things that we see with men is it's a men behavior. You either see one or two extremes, right? You see the man who's overly aggressive because he has extreme anger, or you see the man who's very passive because there's an extreme level of discomfort within even what he feels. Mm. And so when he feels that man, who, who am I? I don't really know how to express my emotions. So it, to some that may comes off, well, he's hypersensitive uh, when really it's just he's stuck in an emotional uh, sandpit. Mm -hmm. And this emotional sandpit doesn't I, it doesn't allow him to move forward or it doesn't allow him to. Uh, uh, so there, there's no fight or flight. It's mostly freeze. 
Oh, for him. Yeah, yeah. So th th there's nothing. So almost similar to analysis paralysis, like rather than do something, you do nothing because the over analyzing of self becomes the barrier that separates him, him from moving forward. And yeah, so sure. it, it affects a lot, man, in our, in our social dynamic and, so, and functioning. So I want to talk about relationships because so here's those two extremes. I definitely see those a lot. But what does it look like when, let's say, you're in a romantic relationship with somebody? How do those extremes show up in our dating experience or how we relate to our partners? Uh, it shows up in unhealthy attachments. And uh, a lot of those unhealthy attachments shows up in avoidance, uh, deflection, dismissive, uh, or, or, or you see a lot of insecure attachments, right? You see the man who's over bearing right you know where you going and you know what i mean he he doesn't want somebody to run off and leave him because it, it's he, he's been abandoned or you see the man uh who operates in extreme anger because he's never been taught how to process his emotion so anger is the only emotion that he knows how to express you have the guy who probably the kid that wasn't heard so either he's very um uh you know, he becomes withdrawn or he shuts down when there's conflict. So it's, it's those ways, you know, unhealthy attachment, uh, shutting down, uh, becoming uh, dismissive uh, and, and avoidant. Right. And, and it's coming from emotional wounds. It's coming from a pain. Like I I don't want to say I've, I've seen everybody or know everybody, but I think just at people's core, like they're not trying to always mistreat people. A no. lot of how people respond to the world around them is a direct result of things they've experienced in their childhood. And they're responding to it the best way they've known how, how to cope with it, whether it's on one stream or the other. So, Absolutely. so, so let's have this conversation. Like there's a lot of people who've been living with a lot of hurt and a pain for a long time. And they're like, Hey, well, I'm getting by with it right now. Like I haven't had to address it um, as directly if I've needed to. Why is it important to heal from emotional wounds? Why is it important? I, th I think it's important because as you begin to heal, not only does it change the lens um, that you're looking at, uh, looking through, it also changes how you filter everything through life because an unhealed person is always going to filter everything through their experiences, mm. right? And getting healed allows you to change not only your perception, but also your perspective, which alters your thoughts about yourself, but it alters the behaviors. Most of us are married to patterns of behavior that we've learned either through defense mechanism to where I got abused as a kid. So therefore I'm no one is never going to beat on me. So I don't let people get close to me. When someone gets close to me, I run, I shut down, you know? So I think if people learn that healing allows you to have a better quality of life, it allows you to have a better opportunity to experience and explore life outside of what you know because and i said this today to a client i said if you choose a story you impact 
you don't have any ability to impact your outcome. But if you choose you, you now become the narrator to change the complete story. But most times we choose the story because the story not only justifies our actions and behavior, but there's a sense of validation that we get. I'm from the hood. This how it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't show love. I ain't hugging no woman. You know what I'm saying? So, and what happened is that to become something different, I now have to remove the story. And I now have to choose me. But sometimes choosing ourselves is not easy because I got to choose the molestation. I got to choose the abuse. And choosing it doesn't mean that you take it on as yours. You choose it to accept that it happened, but you don't have to accept the behavior that you have allowed to be the driver in your life. And so that's the importance of healing and being able to address those emotional wounds, if that makes sense. I don't know. No, that was perfect because <laughs> one thing that I really try to emphasize to people is that you are still in control. You're not in control of what happened in the past, but you're in control of how things play out from this day forward. And that was really big that you said, like sometimes you, you end up choosing the story rather than choosing yourself because of the validation. I have a right to be mad at my dad because he didn't show up like he was supposed to. I have a right to be mad at my mom because she didn't tell me the truth about things. I can be mad at my boss that I didn't get that promotion because we can choose the story because yeah. it would validate how we now respond to it. And we, we can articulate that. Absolutely. It can be hard to articulate that I am now choosing to do something different regardless of what has already happened. There that, it is right there. <laughs> that's that's there, tough. There it is right there, brother. That's one of those, like, you have to sit with yourself in that thought. That, yep. like, I'm really big on, like, sometimes you just got to sit with some uncomfortable thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. like you mentioned, not having the language. I tell people sometimes not having the language is okay. Sit with it. What yep. is your body telling you about not being able to verbalize it? Exactly. That's good, King. That's good. That's that. That's that's big. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So I, I believe everybody at, at some level has some healing to do. Have yep. you had any experience with your own personal healing journey? And if so, like what was oh, that? Yeah, like? yeah, man. So, you know, to uh, for those that don't know my story, I'm a two time uh, suicide uh, survivor, man, attempt survivor. So, you know, I, I struggled with depression for years uh, when my parents divorced. I'm the, the son of a pastor and um, I saw a lot in church that wasn't of God and it, it, it impacted me as a young kid. Um, but to kind of keep it uh, as being short, but it impacted me to where uh, my father, who I held in such a high 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 level of, of, of regard at that time, it was disappointing to how he divorced my mom and how everything went down. And, and what I want people to understand is that depression is connected to about four things, you know, uh, abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, verbal, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there was an event that took place, conflict, 
um, sometimes uh, death, uh, loss. <clears throat> so those things can often kind of be the grounds for depression uh, happening. And and I'm and I'm kind of slowing down because I uh, I want to make sure uh, they hear me because I, I I've said to people that depression is a symptom and not a diagnosis and it's a symptom because there's a root issue that calls this response and for me the res uh the response was depression but the event was the divorce of my parents and that led into the self-harm that led into the um lack of low self-esteem because my dad was a football player he's a pastor and my mom moves us to Texas and it's like all of a sudden I don't you know, I had an image of who I wanted to become, but I don't have anything now. So I'm looking for something. And that's when football, you know, became everything. So it was my coping mechanism. And after my last suicide attempt 10 years ago, uh, I, I just made 39. Uh, thank God. And 10 years ago, my second attempt. And when I entered into therapy, uh, and my attempt was a drug overdose. When I entered and started going back into therapy, I wanted to begin to really address what uh, caused the depression to come back. And what was causing the depression to resurface was my thoughts about myself, about not having my dad approve me. I didn't have his approval, right? I graduated college. You know, I, I did the NFL thing. I was, you know, I did the arena football thing and I was doing things that, you know, says, hey, you know, hey, he, he's doing something. But there was never any moment where he looked at my life and said, I'm proud. Mm -hmm. So I spent so much energy trying to be better than him. And not that I was becoming like him, but I was losing myself to be better than a man by not focusing on being the best version of myself. So. I continued to perform and I would overperform hoping to receive his love and his affection is his attention and everything. And I never got it. So I just got to the point. I'm like, F it. <laughs> like, what's the point? You know, and and when I started to heal King and started getting into therapy, I began to look at I had the choice to become in spite of the experience. Mm. And that's what I tell people about therapy is you get to process all of that. You get to unpack these thoughts on uh, these self, these self-fulfilling prophecies that you had that, you know, about yourself, these self-deprecating thoughts that you've had. And so I begin to peel back the layers and I begin to look at who does Jay want to become beyond what has happened, because I was trying to take what happened and allow that to be the driver and the fuel. And it still wasn't getting me anywhere. And so to unpack it and to separate it and to compartmentalize it says, yeah, that happened. Yeah, your dad did this. And yeah, you saw your dad do that. However, that does not have to be you because I was always choosing the story. And it wasn't until my mentor said to me, and I'm going to be vulgar for those. He said to me, he said, no one cares, man. No one gives a shit. This he told me. He said, no one cares, Jay. Okay, your dad did it. I mean, I'm 25 years old. I never forget. It. And I break, break down. And I'm just like, how insensitive, dude. 
and it wasn't and, and it didn't and it didn't dawn on me until I was in therapy at 30, 31 years old, that moment he wasn't being insensitive. It may have felt like that, mm-hmm. but that wasn't his intention. What he was saying is that, hey, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either choose this and take this with you at, through the rest of your life, or you can either unpack it and leave it here and move on. Mm-hmm. And that's what I chose to do. And and I've been years on this journey and I, I started writing books and started speaking. And, and then, you know, uh, it was a divine uh, 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 interaction for me to even enter, to go back to school to get my master's to become a therapist because I was doing emotional uh, recovery in group homes with uh, girls in foster care. And the lady, uh, the director said one day, she says, you, you have a gift. She said, this is the work of a therapist. I was like, oh, whatever. I was like, I just thought it was mentoring. I'm like, I'm just coaching these girls because part of me wanted to give these girls space because I never had that. Right. And, I, and I've told this story a few times. I have seven uncles. My dad has seven brothers. And when my parents divorced, not one person checked on me and asked 13-year-old Jay, how is he doing? Hey, nephew, I got you. And man, I never forgot that. And until this day, King, is why I do the best I can to be there for young black males. And even for men in general, you know, I have a lot of guys that I work with because I know what it's like to not only not have space, but 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 I also know what it's like to not feel like you're cared for. Wow. That's first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I definitely see a parallel with my life as well. Like as I started to heal, I wanted to do the same for others. And that's why I also went uh, me and my wife moved to Memphis because she was in school there. But I took a job at a community center in a very dangerous area and I just wanted to have space. And then eventually I, too, went to grad school to become a therapist because I'm having a lot of these deep conversations. And I'm starting to realize, like, yo, I don't know what to do once someone tells me this stuff. Right. I need to get the skills to be able to 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 be able to help people in a deeper way. Absolutely. So, and so healing for those who are listening, it doesn't just like impact you. It impacts those. No, around you. Yeah, like, it does. It's infectious and it can really help people. So we're going to go ahead and transition into our last segment, which is called Flip the Script. And Flip the Script is the segment of the show where our guest provides a simple tool or strategy for how to deal with a, either a situation or a challenge that we discuss in this episode. So, Jay, here's your question. Someone may be out there and they are making the decision that, hey, I want to go ahead and start my emotional healing journey. What are some steps that they can take towards their own emotional healing? Uh, I would say this journaling and I want to keep it simple. Journaling is a really good way to start your healing journey. I think as you begin to put words on paper and I'm real big on audio journaling, I've, I've had a lot of guys doing that and, you know, with their phones, uh, through voice memo and things of that. Uh, I even have some people, they love to do video journaling where they set up their camera and they just talk. But I think journaling, what it does is allows you to begin to exercise expressing. Um, most people uh, have not been provided space 
to even talk about how they feel. And I think journaling is the uh, a great way to start that healing process so you can begin to look at things. And of course, uh, finding a therapist, counselor, coach, you know, whatever works for you. But I think as you begin to release some things that you have allowed uh, to kind of lay dormant, some things that you have suppressed, journaling and writing it out would be a great way to start your journey. And you'll be surprised the weight that is lifted when you write something down. Because again, you are now getting it out of your system. And when you write it down, you're actually releasing it even from your subconscious. Because a lot of times your subconscious doesn't really forget. It, it, I, I call it subconscious, like it's a, it's a recorder, whether you know it or not. And so I think that's a great way to start for those that are looking to, um, to begin the healing journey. And then you can progress on and, and find therapists because I, I want to make sure I echo this. Not every therapist is effective at what they do. And notice, <laughs> and notice I did not use the word good because I'm not, I'm not into people like, oh, I, you know, I don't, I'm, you know, this, I had to tell somebody, King, I was like, listen, man, this ain't bald, man. Like, I'm not looking to be great or good. I'm looking to be effective. And I remember telling my supervisor, he was like, well, Jay, there's some clinicians have been doing this 20 years and this and that. I said, I, no disrespect, but I don't care how long you've been doing something. I want to know how effective are you in what you do? Because you have to be open to new methods new ideology and one of the things that i love that i take into my practice daily is that as educated as i am the client always educate you on what to do with what you have to guide them and so look for a, a, a clinician that is effective and then even a clinician that is open to provide feedback because some therapists just kind of sit there and I'm just again just being honest they just sit there and let you talk and it's kind of like okay time's up we'll see you next week so look for someone who provides feedback and someone who is uh who is humble and someone who is excited about the work that they do you know uh my my clients especially virtually man when they log on it's like dude what are you smiling and we about to get into this deep stuff and I'm like listen I said because I, I, I want to make it inviting, you know what I mean? So I don't want you to think like you're coming in and talking to the doctor and telling you you got six months to live. No. But uh, I, I really hope uh, that that helps somebody, man. And this has been awesome to be on your platform. I follow your work, King, and I love what you're doing through Love un, un, Unscripted and uh, continue the work that you're doing, man, because we're needed, brother. Definitely, definitely. And guys, there we have it. That is this week's Flip the Script. Jay, thank you for joining us this week. Yes, sir, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Please let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Yes, man. You can find me on social media at King J Barnett, all one word on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And then my online virtual coaching platform is KJBcoaching.com. KJBcoaching.com. All right. And I'll put all of that information down in the show notes. Please don't go trying to click any of these links while you're driving. Like we can't help you with your insurance if you wreck because you was texting and driving. So wait till you get somewhere stationary. Check out his information and connect with him for real. Like really try to connect with him. So I just thank everybody for taking the time to listen this week. 
If you're in podcast land, please head on over to Love Unscripted HD on YouTube. And that's where you can see the video for this. Please go over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, podcast, comment, rate, subscribe, leave us a review, and we will see you guys next week in the next one. Peace.